All right, greasers, welcome once again to Grease the Wheels, your weekly technician podcast brought to you from the Rock and Roll Garage by your Uncle Jimmy. Your Uncle Jimmy's over here looking out for you, okay? I'm going to fill you in on some shit, fill you in on some stuff, what's going on, what's not going on. Today, I want to talk to you about DIYers, DIYers, do-it-yourselfers. And I want to talk to you about the difference between a DIYer and a professional. Now, you were listening to this podcast. You're a professional, right? Because this is a this is a podcast for technicians, for Christ's sakes. If you're not a technician, you should not be listening to this fucking podcast. I can assure you that people who are not professionals are, in fact, listening to this podcast, which is okay. It's America. It's America, goddammit. It's a free country. We can do what we want. We're talking about customers who probably don't have a very good grip on what they know. They think they know what they're doing, but they probably don't. In some cases, maybe they do know what they're doing. There's a very large, what I like to call a chasm, a very large expanse between what a DIYer knows, I say on an average, and what a professional technician knows. You know as a professional technician, here's some of the things that you know. Number one, you know that if you work in the Rust Belt in the northern part of this country where they slather the roads with salt in the uh, later parts of the year and the early later parts of one year and the early parts of the next year to try to keep the icy road conditions under control, that this stuff, this salty water briny shit that gets spattered all over the vehicles causes everything to rust at an supremely accelerated rate. And what does that mean for you as a professional? It means that you have to have shit like easy outs and you have to have taps and die sets. You have to have extractors inside and out. You have to have torches. You have to have different kinds of vice grips and you have to have a lot of fucking patience. Okay, now I did it in upstate New York for many years and it's just a part of life up there. So really, you don't hear a tremendous amount of complaining about it. You know, you get something and it's got some rusted out fasteners on it and you know you got to get them out and you know it's going to take longer. And sometimes, sometimes you can actually charge more for getting out fasteners that just don't want to come out anymore because the rust gets in and it either destroys the head of the bolt or rust the bolt right off or it's caused the bolts to become one with the nuts. And so you have to figure out different ways to get these out. Now, I have since moved to a, uh, the southern part of the country where rust is really an anomaly. It doesn't exist on the cars that I work on. And also what I did, one of the things that I have done is I'm now at a new car dealer. So I'm typically not seeing too many cars that are even out of warranty. Mostly we work on stuff that's new and or newer and in pretty good shape. So I don't have to deal with rust literally at all anymore. I can't even, I probably, since I've been down here, I've probably done 25 front end alignments and I've only had to heat the tire ends up on one of them. And we didn't have a torch, so we just used a little propane torch and that seemed to do the job just fine. But other than that, I loosen up bolts, make the adjustments, tighten them back up, and I'm out of there. 10 minutes for an alignment. Are you kidding me? In New York, it would have taken me 10 minutes to make a tie rod on cherry red so that I could twist it, and even then, sometimes it just ends up destroying it. Uh, the famous saying goes that, uh, you know, a frozen tie rod can't 
remain frozen if it's a liquid. <laughs> That's a reference to how fucking hot you need to get them to get them loose, okay? Now, as a technician, you are completely and 100% aware that this shit is gonna happen. But when you're a DIYer and you're in your world of peaches and cream, everything comes undone exactly the way it's supposed to according to the factory assembly manual or the YouTube video that you looked up to see how to do what it is you wanna do. That's just fucking great. Except for reality is gonna kick you right square in the fucking nuts, okay? You're gonna go to take a lug nut off a car. You're gonna take a, a fucking regular, common, everyday fucking lug nut off a car, but it hasn't budged an inch in five years and you've driven it through five winters. Well, let me tell you something. Unless you have a 10-foot breaker bar or one of these big motherfucking impact guns, that lug nut ain't coming off. Okay? It's not coming off. What's probably going to happen, because here's how DIYers do things, you're going to put a socket on there, and then you're going to put your ratchet on there, and you're going to try to take it off, and it's not going to want to come off, so you're going to put a bigger ratchet on it, maybe a different socket. Maybe you know you were trying to take it off with a 3-8 socket, and you realized that maybe that wasn't going to provide the torque necessary to release that rusted solid lug nut. So you switch to the half inch stuff that your wife bought you for Christmas a couple of years ago. And lo and behold, still nothing. How fabulous is that? Okay, so now you call your friend or you look it up on YouTube or, or maybe uh, somebody, some of you are you know, some sort of engineers or whatever, and you get a piece of pipe. Now all of a sudden you've increased the leverage on that ratchet to get that bolt off, that nut, that lug nut, okay? And guess what happens then? Yep. You strip it, you strip the fuck out of it, and now nobody can get it off. So what do you do? Here's what you do. You bring it to the pros. Because you know what the pros do? They have these things that, some of us call them turbo sockets. And what they have is little flutes in them that, that spin kind of backwards from the way the lug nut's supposed to go on. You pound one of them on there, you put your impact gun on there, and blam, off it comes. But not until after you've soaked it down with some sort of shit like PB Blaster, or uh, WD-40 or something that's supposed to eat rust. You do that and maybe if it still refuses to come off and sometimes they do refuse to come off, you stick the torch on it and you heat that son of a bitch up until it's a fucking liquid. And then guess what? It stops giving you a hard time and you fucking take it right off. You have to replace probably the lug nut and probably the stud. And in a lot of cases, if you have aluminum wheels, well, you have even bigger problems, really. Because aluminum is very conductive, okay? And as a, as a technician, as, as technicians who are supposed to be listening to this podcast or should be listening to this podcast, we all know that aluminum is fucking fantastic at taking heat and dissipating it, which is just, it's freaking awesome if you're trying to have air conditioning, if you're trying to have hot water, hot coolant go into a radiator and come out the other side cooler. It's fucking great. That is great. It's also great for making components on, on cars, such as suspension components, you know, to save unsprung weight and to just make the car lighter all the way around, basically. So the aluminum is fucking awesome. I mean, there are 30,000 ton airplanes made almost entirely out of aluminum. And we get in them and ride these fucking things, like from here to there, to here and there, and here and there. I mean, they're always in the air and they do their job well because the shit they're building them out of them is fucking light and strong. It's aluminum. It's the fucking awesomest metal in the world, really. Because, you know, you could build anything you want out of fucking steel. It's just going to be heavy as fuck, that's all. I mean, you couldn't build a 747 out of steel. 
it would go fucking nowhere. So aluminum is some great shit. I mean, you have you probably have beer in aluminum cans, and that shit's cold as fuck too, probably. But you know what? When you have aluminum wheels and you have a stuck lug nut, the fact that aluminum throws off heat is gonna piss you off. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's no switch anywhere in the universe to turn physics off. Nobody can break the laws of physics. Heat is gonna say sayonara real fucking quick when you're talking about aluminum components. You as a technician know this. So if you get a car in with aluminum wheels on it and a lug nut is stuck, your options are fairly limited. And in most cases, they are gonna pretty much require that you destroy the rim to get that lug nut off if it's really fucking frozen on there bad. Because a lot of times the clearance to get tools onto that lug nut to help it come free you can't use them. Sometimes the lug nuts are sunken down into a, a, a hole in the aluminum wheel and you can't even, you couldn't even get vice grips on them. You can't get a crescent wrench on them. You can't get a, a, a fucking turbo socket on them. Really, the, the, there's only a couple of uh, forms of recourse for something like that. You can uh, beat the shit out of the wheel with a hammer until it breaks and then just chisel the chunks off the rotor and uh, then once, you, once you've done that, obviously you can torch off the fucking lug nut, but you can't do that with the wheel on there, can you? Uh, a good friend of mine had a trick where he, they took a hole saw and because aluminum is kind of soft, the hole saw did a hell of a job, but they would just trim right around, they would just drill right around the lug nut. They had one that was just big enough. They'd drill around the lug nut and you'd had, now you had a wheel that you couldn't use anymore, but yeah, you know, they got, the wheel off the car. So you ended up having to buy a new wheel. So this is something that DIYers are not gonna be familiar with, okay? So this will ruin their fucking day. Uh, some of the other things that DIYers don't know, uh, they don't know how to get bolts and nuts out that are stripped. You know you do as a technician. Uh, some of the other things they don't know, and uh, it, it's, it slays me when I see some of these things, and I don't see it too often, fortunately. Uh, compression fittings, yeah. I'm sorry, they're a complete fucking no-no. They are 100%, they're 1,000% no-no. Do not ever use compression fittings to fix your brakes. You as a technician, as a professional, know exactly fucking why, okay? You know why. But a DIYer, they don't know shit. And you know how I know they don't know shit? I've seen DIYers put vacuum tubing on brake lines. I've seen it. I've also seen what the I've also seen what the brake line does when you hit the brakes with a piece of vacuum hose on it. It's, it it pops off of wherever it was and it spews brake fluid all over the place. Which oh by the way is an excellent excellent paint stripper. So uh, don't do that. Not even just for fun. The other thing that causes a huge chasm between the DIYers and the professional is that a professional will go in and in a professional manner diagnose a vehicle and it, you know. You're thinking as a DIYer, if you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh, you know, we do the same thing. Like, yeah, but no, you don't do the same thing, okay? Because a professional is going to take a look at a car and he's going to use uh, a little thing we like to call reason and intelligence to figure out what's wrong with a car. Uh, some technicians will guess and some of them will guess right, but it typically... If the technician is any good at all, he'll go back and he'll verify that either his guess or what he thought was wrong or what he thought could be wrong was indeed actually wrong. A good example would be, I don't know, uh, maybe a thermostat, okay? Now, there's thousands of ways to tell if a thermostat is working or not. Now, a lot of them are electronically controlled nowadays, so you may get a powertrain code for a thermostat because if the thermostat sticks open, 
your engine's not going to heat up, your O2 sensors are not going to light off, and your car's going to run kind of like shit because it's still trying to figure out how to warm the engine up and get the O2 sensors to light off. And if they never do, well, the car's not going to run right. Not going to run as well as it should anyway, okay? And it probably will have trouble passing emissions even. Now, you could, as a professional technician, you could do, you could check the fault codes. You could check the hoses going in and out of where the thermostat is, see if one's hot, one's cold. If the car has been running for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, they should probably both be a similar temperature, not exactly the same, but similar. Maybe if they're, if they're too similar, obviously it could be stuck open. Also, too, you'd be looking at flow through the, through the radiator. You could also use a uh, laser thermometer, which I, you know, a lot of us have. You could just check the uh, temperature of the hoses and the engine coolant. And if the car has been running for any amount of time, you could even just look at the coolant temperature gauge if the car is equipped with one. And one of the more ridiculous things I've seen lately, and it's been going on for a while now, the cars that I work on have oil temperature gauges, which, you know, oil temperature gauges to me are fucking worthless. I mean, what, who the fuck needs to know what the temperature of the oil is? Guess what? It's either hot or it's not. Who gives a fuck if it's what range it's in? I mean, tell me what the water temperature is. I can use that knowledge. That's data I want to see. An oil temperature gauge, it just confuses people. They look at it and they go, oh, my water, water temperature is up. Yeah, well, it's not measuring that unfortunately for you but that seems to be the way it's it's going at least the way it's been i don't know if it's going to keep going i wouldn't put a oil temperature gauge on my race car for christ's sakes if i had one another difference between uh diyers and professionals is that we as professionals should not although we do i know some of us do and some of us don't do our due diligence as far as diagnosis go but we should not be shotgunning parts into a into a car just to try to fix it. We should not be doing that, okay? Now, there are cases where a professional will run into a brick wall of diagnosis and have a concern that doesn't really seem to make any sense for whatever reason, and there's a lot of them, okay? Now, I was mentioning in another podcast about all the features that the cars have, and in a lot of cases, they make diagnosis extraordinarily difficult, especially if it's like something stupid, you know, like uh, my lane change warning doesn't work or the backup camera's out. It's like, yeah, but does it keep the car from going to, from point A to point B? Then what the fuck is the real problem here? But because the car is equipped with that and it's brand new or brand newish, and they are still making payments on it and it's still under warranty, you're gonna have to diagnose that. Now, when you're talking about diagnosing something like a, a let's just say a backup camera not working, you have a specific set of things that you need to check, okay? Obviously, you wanna check the control module to see if the fuse is blown. You wanna check the wiring to it to see if it's been chewed on by rodents, which seems to be a much bigger problem lately than uh, it has been in the past. And that's a whole other thing I don't even really wanna go into here, but there's a good reason for that. Um, also too, you're gonna to wanna to check the cable that goes, the RGB cable that goes from the uh, control module to the camera. You're gonna to wanna to check the camera to make sure it didn't get hit or broken or punched in or disconnected somehow or another. Uh, you just wanna, you, you, can, you, can, you, will, you will do diagnosis. Whereas a DIYer would say, oh, my backup camera's out, my car's on, not under warranty anymore, I'll just buy a backup camera and slam it in. And here's the problem with that, probably about 50% of the time they're right. And one of the things that that does is that when somebody's right 50% of the time, they think they're gonna be right 100% of the time. They just don't know they're gonna be wrong the next time. 
And they probably will be wrong the next time. It's not a law of averages thing. The more things you get right, the smarter you are. No, the more things you get right, the luckier you are. That's how that fucking works, okay? So if you put a backup camera in after uh, having one fail and it fixes it, then you're a fucking hero. You're a hero to yourself. You're a hero to everybody you fucking tell that you fixed the car. You said, forget them. I'm not going to give them $155 an hour to fix my car. I can fix it myself. And the next time it breaks, you go at it. You go right at it. You don't even bother trying to bring it. You don't even call the dealer. The thought of taking it to the dealer or to a, a shop doesn't even cross your mind. You're like, I can fucking do it. And then you find out that you were only really right 50% of the time because this time you're going to be dead fucking wrong. Okay. But let's say maybe through some miracle of God, that whatever it is that you were trying to fix, you guessed right and you bought a part and you put it in and that fixed it too. Now you're you're 2-0. You're 100%. But I'm here to tell you that you're going to be wrong 50% of the time when you do this. So you're doomed for failure. You're doomed to failure the next two fucking times you go to fix something. That's how it works for you DIYers. I enjoy probably 90 to 95% accuracy when I'm fixing stuff okay nobody enjoys 100% because there's always going to be you know you could go along you could fix 25 cars in a row perfectly get that 26th car and that motherfucker has a fucking intermittent dead short in some module and it affects five other modules and you can't figure out why it's doing it because it's intermittent it only does it when it's below 26 degrees which it isn't going to be for another fucking eight months yeah Tell me a DIYer is going to be able to figure that out. Yeah, maybe if he shotguns that module and he'll never have that problem again. But guess what? As a professional, I might have to do that too. But my opinion, my parts cannon aiming is going to be a lot better than yours. Because if you've got five modules that are being systematically brought down by this one module, you can actually take that one module out of the equation, have all the other five come up and narrow it down to that one. And then if you shotgun that in there because you're not sure if that's actually the fault and it fixes everything, then you've made it a much, much more educated guess than perhaps your DIY friend would. Your DIY friend would probably go into Hawk buying six different modules and having you program the car six different times until he finally got it fixed. And he's going to be a lot broker than you are because you're fixing cars for other people that aren't yours. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> Somebody fixing their own car, they make a mistake and they fuck it up. Two things happen. A, they pay. They're the only ones who are going to pay. Nobody else is involved with paying. And B, they have nobody to blame but them fucking selves, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I, I had uh, an occasion not too long ago where my uh, one of my relatives decided that he could do a brake job on his own vehicle by watching it, somebody do one on YouTube. And then he said the magic words, which I... I love to hear, oh, it looks easy. I can do it myself. Okay, great. I'll be sitting right over here because you know what? Shit goes wrong and shit is going to go wrong and you're not going to know what to fucking do because, oh, the YouTube video I watched didn't cover that, did it? No, no. The video, <laughs> the, <laughs> the videos uh, for the particular vehicle he owned all seem to be made by people who speak with a Russian accent. So uh, I knew beforehand, before we even opened the toolbox, before we even got done driving the vehicle into the shop, I knew we were already in trouble. But since I'm a professional technician and I was right there to kind of marshal what was going to happen, to kind of keep everything under control and not let the chaos get too fucking wide and heavy, uh, I knew that somebody trying to figure out how somebody did something and that person who showed him how to do it was a Russian on a shaky video 
probably somewhere in uh, uh, Georgia or one of the other provinces of Russia that they still have. I knew this was going to be trouble, and I was not wrong. I was not wrong. I don't think I, I hope I didn't berate this particular individual too uh, vehemently, but uh, <laughs> I kind of kept it to myself. I actually like my relatives, so I don't want to say bad things about them, but uh, I think they learned that day that, uh, yeah, uh, as a professional, and uh, this is kudos to all of you out there that are professionals. We make it look easy, boys and girls. We make it, we must make it look easy because a lot of people seem to think they can do it. And a lot of people find out later that they're just fucking wrong. Not easy. And you run into a problem and they run into a problem and that's where the fucking chasm exists, okay? Because you have a bridge to the knowledge and the skill and the tools you need to overcome whatever kind of chaos any vehicle throws at you at any given time, especially if you work up north. Man, you know how to get a, you know how to extract a bolt from the side of a cylinder head where you have a quarter of an inch to get a tool in there. You know how to do it. I've done it. We've all done it that work up north. People in the south, they run into rusty bolts, they break off, or they, they have fasteners that don't want to cooperate. They're kind of lost. So, but you know what? It's fine. Uh, they'll learn. And if they don't learn, they don't care because it's like, every fourth or 500th vehicle they work on. It's not something that happens to them every day. But a DIYer doesn't have that bridge. They don't have that that expanse of knowledge and tools and and techniques and theories and, and maybe even other technicians to help them out. They, they just are forging ahead as blindly as, as, as blind as a bat. And uh, if they get it done right sometimes, more power to them. Uh, a lot of times they don't get it done right. Uh, one of the things that bothers me about DIYers is that the auto parts stores in America, and I don't want to name anybody in particular, but the, they seem to be fostering this uh, notion that, you know what, you can do it yourself. You can get some tools from us, oh, by the way, and you can get the parts from us, and you can do it yourself and save yourself all that money for labor. Yeah, but you know what? You could get tools and you can get parts from those parts stores and take them home and completely fuck your car up. You can. I mean, you know, really, honestly, you could change connecting rod bearings in your driveway if you were so inclined. If you thought you could do it, if you got the tools you needed, maybe you watched a YouTube video, maybe you watched a couple of them, maybe you even bought the manual. But if you are not a professional and you attempt to change the connecting rod bearings in your car, in your driveway, on a Sunday afternoon. You're gonna be walking to fucking work on Monday. I can almost guarantee it. It's a horrendous job. It goes way fucking easier on a lift if you're doing them in the car. And yes, connecting rod bearings can be changed in the car. I've done it many times as a professional. I have tools, I have knowledge. I have the specs, I have the repair instructions sometimes because I don't know how everything goes together. I don't know how everything comes apart. I like to look at repair instructions. The repair instructions I follow are made by the people who built the cars I work on. So they show pictures and illustrations and screw torques and, and other assorted information that I'm gonna need to know to fix that particular car. It's not as basic as a Chilton's manual where it assumes that all cars are the same. It's not as basic as a YouTube video of a Russian screwing a, 
a DSC motor out of a ABS setup and changing the fucking brushes in it. It's not going to be that easy. It's not. So pick your battles, you DIYers. And for you pros, if you get one of these cars that a DIYer has screwed up, make sure you gaff them. Get your money. Get paid. That's the only way these people are going to learn is if you give them a good solid wallet flush. Make them earn it. I see a lot of stuff gets done wrong. Uh, I cringe, uh, especially when I see stuff that could possibly damage the vehicle beyond repair, which I have on a very regular basis. So maintain yourself as a professional by figuring out what you need to know to do the job and do the job professionally. And if you're a DIYer, stop being a fucking DIYer. Some stuff is out of the realm of possibility for you. Get a good grip on what you can and can't do. If you have trouble basically screwing the cap on your toothpaste without cross-threading it, you should definitely not be fucking with the brakes on your car. Don't fucking do it because you might be behind me. And if you run into me after doing a brake job on your car and I find out you did it wrong, I'm going to come over and beat your ass dead. Okay? Because I don't appreciate that shit at all. You're, no one out there, no one, not even your Uncle Jimmy, is as smart as I think I am. Nobody is as smart as they think they are. Nobody. Not me, not you, not anybody. So let's back up, take a deep breath, and figure out in our own mind, in our own time, on our own car, what we're actually capable of doing and leave the rest to the pros, okay? And speaking of leaving it to the pros, that's what I'm gonna do right now. This, this is your Uncle Jimmy. I'm gonna sign off right now. Keep it real, boys and girls. See ya.